Well, good morning. And how are you doing today? Great, very well, fine. Tired. <laughs> You're so honest. That's awesome. Hmm. Well, 25 years ago, I was serving as a youth pastor in Nippon, Saskatchewan. It's a little bit up north from here. And it was a church of about 100 people. So it was just on staff, there was uh, the pastor, and then I was the youth pastor. And um, so my pastor had taken me on a trip to a conference in another town. And while I was in that other town on the, at this conference, at the very beginning of the conference, I had some time just to read the Bible and to pray. And so I was reading in my favorite book of the Bible, and uh, Philippians, my favorite book of the Bible. And I was it, it's a a book I'd preached on. I'd preached on every chapter of that book, and I'd read it many, many times. And I was reading it, and I, I encountered some scriptures that somehow I'd read, but they never stood out to me like they did that day. And the verses were Philippians 2, 20 to 22, and it was talking about how Paul had such great confidence in Timothy. He could sort of send him out, and he was sending him out to the Philippians to encourage them. And this is what he said about Timothy. He said, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because of, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And you know, again, here's my favorite book of the Bible. It's a it's quite short. It's, not, it's only a few chapters long. And I preached on it, and I read through it many times. And somehow, this had never stood out to me. Never stood out to me. But it stood out to me that day. It just jumped off the page and sort of grabbed my heart. And suddenly, I found myself just praying fervently to God and saying, God, I want this. I want to be like how Paul describes Timothy. I want to be like that to my senior pastor, whose name was Keith. I want to be like that to Keith. I want to be, he can send me on assignments uh, that I'll show genuine concern for the people he sends me to, um, that, I'll, that I won't be just looking out for my interests, but I'll be looking out for the interests of Jesus. And I, I want to be like a, a son. Now, Keith wasn't old enough to be my father, but he was a few years older than me. But I want to be like that, a son in the ministry with him. I want to serve like that. And so I'm praying and asking God for this. Uh, and uh, it was really quite something. I really felt like I had heard God through the Word. I'd heard God through the Word. And, uh, and I just had an incredible time in prayer asking God for the things that were described in this, in this passage. Now, I wrote, uh, I was an avid journaler, and uh, I, I wasn't married yet, so I had no one to tell anything. So I, I wrote in my uh, journal, uh, what I'd asked God, my prayer, you know, how this scripture had really impacted me. And then I put my journal back in my backpack and zipped it shut. And uh, then I went into the uh, worship service after that. Um, and the speaker was someone I'd never heard of before. I don't recall his name to this day. He was from South Africa, and I, I've had no interaction before or since. Anyhow, at the end of the service, there was a time where people could come up and just sort of seek the Lord and pray. And I went up to pray. I'd already felt like God had spoken so powerfully through this scripture. And then the, the, 
the worship service and the speaking was good too, and I just came up to just seek the Lord. But so the, the speaker from South Africa was sort of walking by different people and just sort of asking, you know, what he could pray for with people and ministering to people. Anyhow, he came to me and he said, you desire to serve your senior pastor like Timothy served Paul. And then he quoted the verses I'd written in my journal. And I was going, whoa. I have never paid attention to those verses in my life before until this morning. And now you're quoting and he basically and telling me what my desire is. I was blown away. In fact, as he was talking to me, I actually looked away from him for a moment to look back at my backpack. I was like, did I leave my journal out? Did he read it? How is this possible? Because he was telling exactly. And so then I was like, just amazed by this fact. And he says, God has heard your prayer, and God will, God will grant you your request. I tell you, it was incredible. Now, it was already incredible before that happened. To me, it was already incredible that I could read something in the Bible, that it would jump out at me, grip my heart, that it could be something I could pray back to God. And I just felt like I had had such an incredible moment with God before this. Like, if that didn't happen, I still would have said that was a very significant, um, probably one of the most significant moments of ministry in that year. It's just to hear God, uh, you know, to see what God wants us to, how he wants us to respond to the leaders that we have in our lives and, and, and to be faithful. And, to, and I just, it was already amazing. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to tell me that he had, uh, you know, Google Maps, like, centrally located on the person of Steve Atkins and that he knew where I lived and what I prayed. But he's just that good. He's just that good. But I'd heard through the word. I'd already heard. It was, and, and the Holy Spirit had made it alive to me. And then this incredible confirmation came as well that just seemed like too much. Just like, who am I to receive such an incredible moment? And uh, it, was, it was incredible. Well, this is Hearing God week number two, and uh, we're talking about hearing God through the Bible. I said last week that the, the Bible and the Holy Spirit are an incredible tag team in our lives, and that God will use the principles of Scripture in the Bible and the promptings of the Holy Spirit to guide us. Adopting the principles of Scripture will help you make most of your decisions, and uh, if, especially if you make those principles your policy, right? You say, this is the principle of Scripture. I'm just going to live by that and experience the benefits of it. And, but there are decisions that principles alone will not make. And that's where God gives us promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so I felt like I had both in this experience. And often they can come together. So we also were talking about how hearing God is about a relationship. And we need to hear from God so he can function as our Lord and King to guide us and direct us and, and uh, command us to go and, to, and what to do but also as our Father, so he can affirm us and, and, uh, and uh, uh, we can experience his affection and his love. And ultimately, he's really our life. And so we're looking, those are all things that are, that when we hear from God, he, it's a, another way that we can experience those things in our lives. So next week, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. I won't be speaking next week. I've asked Sarah Reimer to speak on the topic 
of the different ways God speaks. But today, I'm going to tackle the big one that I think that God wants to use regularly in the life of every believer. That is hearing God through reading or listening to or recalling words from the Bible. So I'd say read or listen because listening is becoming more and more the way people ingest the Bible. Um, I think it, both are great, right? Obviously, just sitting down with the text of the Word of God and reading it, that's, that's awesome. Uh, but a lot of people are just trying to find ways to fit more Bible into their lives, right? So maybe they're running at the track and they're listening to the Bible on their, on their, on their AirPods or whatever, or they're, they're in the shower. Maybe you've got a Bluetooth speaker in your shower that's waterproof. Hopefully it's waterproof. And, uh, you know, you're listening to Scripture there. Um, so however you engage the Bible... I want to encourage you to do it in, with two mindsets, two different mindsets. The first one is to approach the Bible as a scholar. They say, I'm not a scholar. Well, I'll just tell you what I mean. I, I don't know if I'm a scholar either, but let's just, this is what I mean by approaching it. It means you are there to observe what it really says. You are paying, a scholar is paying attention to what does it really say. And so ways you can find out or you can get closer and closer to what it really says Instead of reading it and sort of going, oh, I, I think it means this, and then running off, but you really haven't heard or you haven't really paid attention. So here's some ways that you could approach the Bible like a scholar. It might mean that you take it slowly. You know, you read it a little more slowly and precisely, paying attention to what it's saying. Or you read it more than once to make sure you're getting the message. Or you read it in more than one translation. Sometimes that can help you. You say, I just don't get how it's phrased here. And so you read it in a different translation and phrase it just slightly different. And you go, oh, I think I'm getting it. Some people print it out, and then they really go to town. If I want to really understand a passage, I often do this. Uh, and I, I've had different venues where I've gotten you to do this, right? I've printed out scripture sheets for you as a congregation in different settings. And I've said, you know, read it through once and uh, underline everything that stands out to you. Read it through again, and then, and then circle the things that are the biggest ahas that you see in the passage. And then I say, read it through a third time, and then do an asterisk beside one or maybe two things that you think are the things God wants you to pray back to him or talk to him about or implement in your life. So I like to do that. Uh, so maybe, maybe you just, when, if you have it where you can mark it up, you mark it up with arrows. You show what parts refer to other parts. You dissect it like an English teacher. Some of you are saying, I didn't do good in English. That's all right. But, or maybe you draw a picture that illustrates what it's saying. Or you summarize several paragraphs in a sentence that will help you remember what it's all about. Or you read the passage before it so that you understand the context better. Or you read from a commentary from a reputable pastor or teacher that sheds light on a difficult passage. So a scholar is intent on inspecting the text and dissecting the text to find out what is really there. What is God really saying? Not, does, not what do I want it to say, but what is God trying to communicate in this text? So we want to handle God's word correctly. 2 Timothy talks about this. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth important that we correctly handle the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might, might not sin against you. So if we retain the word, right, 
There's other scriptures that talk about reading the word and going away and forgetting. It's sort of like looking in the mirror and then going away and forgetting what you look like. It's, you know. But instead, we read it enough that we retain it. Maybe you've memorized it. Um, or you, or you, 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 you gain the just good enough that it becomes something that can come back to you. I remember we talked about how, uh, last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit will bring back to your memory things that you read in the Word. And that's a powerful dynamic in our lives. And it's amazing how that can happen. I'll share a story about that today, about one of the ones that sort of surprised me, of God bringing back something that I was surprised I even re- retained, but it helped in a very practical way. So Psalm 1, 1 to 3 talks about having a regular engagement with the Bible. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So meditating on the, at this time when this was written, the earliest books of the Bible, like, uh, you know, like the first five books mostly. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It goes on to say, I didn't write that in my notes, but it goes on to say that the opposite is someone who doesn't attend to the Word of God, they become like chaff, which is straw. It's basically in the, you know, in the, it's what the combine kicks out. It's not worth, it's not food. It's just, I mean, maybe it is to some animals, but not for us, right? It's light and it blows away in the wind. We, our lives can be light like that. It can be light like, you know, but I think our lives are meant to be full of substance, more like a tree than like straw that blows away in the wind. When we have a regular engagement with God through his word, there's more and more gravity. There's more and more tree-like substance that comes into our lives than just straw that's going to blow away. So that's approaching the Bible like a, a scholar. But approaching the Bible like a follower is, is I think, it goes hand-in-hand hand with this and is slightly different. Instead of making it your goal to read so you understand, which is the scholarly side, the follower enters the text so that they are affected. So the scholarly approach is mainly about handling the text properly, which is so important. But the follower is willing to have the text handle them. So they might pray for God to speak to them as they read. And then they might stop and linger longer on words that come alive and grab a hold of their hearts. And they might ask God, how should I be different today because of what I'm reading? And they might pray a phrase they've read back to God. They might sit focusing on what they've learned about God and slowly begin to worship him. They might reorder their to-do list with new priorities because of how they've been affected by the word. They might make new appointments in their schedule or they might text a verse to a friend to encourage them. So the scholar can... Is, is focused on gathering and retaining new information. What is God saying? But the follower cannot be content with only that because they know that this book was ultimately meant for transformation. It's meant to change our lives. And I have to remind myself of this reality because I, I, in part of my job is to do the scholarly side, to read it enough so I can communicate it so that I understand what it's saying. And uh, so I don't lead people astray with any teaching I do. So when I am going at it like that, sometimes I'm approaching the Bible a little bit too much like a textbook. And it is good that I do that. But I, I sometimes will do that more than I'm 
uh, allowing the word, that word to affect my heart. And so it's important for me when I'm studying, and you know, when, if you really are a, a studier, you can go deep, deep, deep for a long while before you ever sort of stop and go, okay, look, I have a whole head full of knowledge, but what's this supposed to be doing in my life? And so I sometimes have to sort of pull away and go, okay, yeah, I've read lots of commentaries and I've got, you know, I feel like I'm smarter, but I'm changed. Am I being transformed? Am I allowing this to truly affect me? And so I got to always remember, I'm not just a scholar, I'm a follower because it's, that's what the book is. In, the book is intended to change me. And it's, it's those that are eager to be changed, are willing to be changed, are willing to submit to what they read. Those are the ones who get the most. God will speak to the most through the Bible. In John 7, John, uh, Jesus was a great teacher. And people wondered where he was getting it from. Like, oh, we've never heard anyone speak like this before. Where, what's his source? Where's he getting this from? And this is what Jesus said to them. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So, so if you have chosen, God, I want to do what you want. I want to do what you want for my life. I want, to, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. If you choose to follow the commands of God in advance of reading the Bible, the Bible is going to open up to you more. You're going to get so much more out of it because you've chosen to follow. So much more is going to be revealed to you because of that choice. And Paul wrote about this effect, uh, the effect of this book in this way. In 2 Timothy 3, 14, it says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and become convinced of, because you know that those from, those from who you've learned it. This is actually written to Timothy. We already talked about Paul and Timothy. This is written to Timothy. It says, You, you know from those, from those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So he grew up hearing the Bible from his mom and his grandma, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you want that? Do you want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has in store for you to do? I want that. I don't want to be under-equipped for the things God wants me to do or ill-equipped. I want to be thoroughly equipped. Well, reading the Bible is key to become fully equipped or listening to it on audio. If, if that's the way you have to go about it, it works for you. So let me ask you this. Do you have favorite verses? Anyone? Okay. This is not, not, this is not a spiritual landmark, but you, can you think right now, of, and I'm not going to ask you to say it, but can you think of a verse that comes to mind when I ask about a favorite verse? Anyone? Just wave. Just wave. Something comes to your mind? Yeah, okay, yeah. And some of you, maybe if I gave you more time, you'd think of something, right? Um, but having favorite verses is, is uh, it's sort of significant in our lives. There's different ways you can have a favorite verse. You might just read a verse and go, oh, I like that. I just like that. I like what it says. I actually agree with it. It's one thing in the Bible I agree with. <laughs> so that might be your favorite because you're like, that verse agrees with me, you know, <laughs> which might not be the best way to go about it, whatever. But I think the, when you, the way that verses become favorite verses in people's lives, and some people have very strange favorite verses I've found. Like people will share a verse and they're like, that's my favorite verse. And I'm like, what, that one? But there's often, it's favorited because it's, it's a story that's attached to that verse. It's become significant because of their life experience. And that's the same for me. I have some strange favorite verses that 
Nobody else would pick his favorite verses. But God used that verse in my life. Let me give you an example from a famous pastor, John Piper. He's going to talk about one of his favorite verses. I'll just read it to you. He said, in my early 20s, one verse took on monumental proportions, and nothing has lodged it from its primary place. To this very day, it's the main promise I use in my fight against sin, encouraging my heart and carrying through challenges in ministry. It's Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I, now this is God talking, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So John Piper says, let me mention three things about this promise to show how it became so central and why it's so repeatedly helpful to this very day after thousands of applications in my life. In July of 1971, I was about to get on an airplane and fly with my wife, Noelle, to Europe to begin my doctoral studies at age 25. I'm sure Isaiah 41.10 had been functional in my life before that time, but that day I received a phone call from my father who couldn't be there to see me off. He wanted to send me off with the promise of God. So he recited on the phone Isaiah 41.10, then prayed that God would make it real in my life. The effect of that phone call was to nail this promise into the scaffolding of my brain. I love that picture. Nail the promise into the scaffolding of my brain so firmly that it has become my go-to promise more than any other. In those very anxious times in Europe where everything felt fragile and uncertain and unknown and threatening, I resorted to this promise hundreds of times. This promise has a special place in the arsenal of my spiritual warfare partly because my father put it there. The reason it's so effective is because, unlike many promises, God himself is speaking with an I to me personally. It doesn't say, God will strengthen you, God will help you, God will uphold you. That would be wonderful. Many promises are spoken that way, and they're wonderful. But it says, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you. When I recite this promise in my brain by an act of faith, I actually hear the living God saying to me, I will help you. Charles Spurgeon, another famous preacher, used to say, I love the I wills and the I shalls of God. I know exactly what he means. It's a wonderful thing to hear that God will help you. Like Romans 8, 28, God will work everything together for good. That's just off the charts, glorious, but it's better to have God say in his own words, in his own words, say, I will help you. So Isaiah 41, 10 is especially valuable to me because of these three verbs. I will strengthen, I will help, I will uphold. Those three verbs correspond to every challenge we can face. Strength when we're weak and inadequate, help of whatever kind we need, upholding when we feel threatened and opposed, beat down or knocked down. These are awesome verbs that God addressed, addresses to our own soul. It's an amazing promise, and it's true. It comes true. There's a third reason why this promise is so, so precious. Even though it's addressed to Israel in the Old Testament context, I know because of 2 Corinthians 1.20, the blood of Christ, and my place in the new covenant, that all the promises of God are yes for me in Christ Jesus. And that's what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. All the promises of God are yes in him. I don't worry that it was addressed to Israel. I know that I am part of the new Israel in Christ and that the promises are all the more true for me because of Jesus. So we can be fueled by our favorite verses. They can be something that we come back to again and again and again, and um, I think it's, it's really important that we, we recognize the Holy Spirit 
will, is giving us, is helping us to latch onto these verses so they can be brought back to us. Remember John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So when you're reading scripture, you might just, you might just come across a verse that uh, it might, the first time you read it, sort of like my experience with Philippians chapter 2, those verses about Timothy, I have no one like Timothy who cares for you like this, and etc. First time I read that, uh, it didn't mean anything. To, it was insignificant. Probably read it half a dozen times without it being significant. But one time when I read it, God made it potent in my life because of my situation, and God just made it come alive. And now it's become one of my favorite verses for life because God made it come alive. And the Holy Spirit will do that with stuff maybe you've read in the past where you sort of, uh, you read it and you retain enough to know what it said, but then in a moment when you need it, God will use that scripture to become uh, an, uh, potent and also it might become one of your favorites as well. So you want to be, I mean, hanging on to favorite verses is awesome. You can be fueled by those favorites. Keep coming back to them. Recite them to yourself. Remind you of God's goodness and how he used that scripture to help you in the past. Or, and, and that's amazing. But we also want to be looking for fresh scripture as well. And um, I was thinking of Wayne Cadero. He writes um, a great book on just sort of hearing God. And uh, he happens to be a pastor in Hawaii, which is, you know, you're hardly a, you know, are you, are you even serving Lord if you're in Hawaii? I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't think you've taken on any hardship for the Lord if you're there. But anyhow, he gets to write about wonderful things. And so he writes a story about his, one of his, his favorite bakery in the Hawaiian Islands. And it's not on the Hawaiian Islands that we, peop, we as Canadians go to, right? It's not on Oahu, and it's not on Kona or Maui or Kauai. It's in Molokai, which almost no one goes to Molokai on vacation. But there's this, there's this bakery, and he says, it, like, people go and stand out in line for this bakery in Molokai, like, at the wee hours of the morning. So people will show up there, like, at 2 in the morning, and uh, the smells from this bakery are just amazing and wonderful. And people just wait and wait and wait. And then when they come, they get their moment in line. They get to ask for all these different amazing breads that they make there. Uh, so if, if you're gluten intolerant, this will be torture to hear this. But um, So there's like, you know, incredible rye bread, incredible sourdough bread, and rainbow bread. I don't know. It sounds good. Jelly-filled, fresh, hot bread. All sorts of different types of bread. And uh, so people wait early in the morning, for fresh bread. Now, but I, I, I read this in his book, and by the time I was done reading it, I was hungry for fresh bread. <laughs> but isn't that how it is when someone describes how a word of God became really powerful in their lives? Don't you get a little bit hungry for fresh bread in your own life? I mean, for a fresh word from God? For, for Scripture that that, that, uh, that comes alive for you and grips your heart. So sometimes you say, I don't have favorite verses. Well, you know what? Keep reading the Bible. And read the Bible with the willingness to serve God. And I bet he'll make some of those scriptures come, become very potent in your life. And very, very, you'll, you'll get some favorite scriptures, I think, that will become meaningful and significant to you for life. Again, through the fresh bread that God wants to bring in our lives. Let me share some favorite verse stories. Um, first, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do you know who he was? 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many know who he is? Okay, okay, well, I'll tell you. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is famous in Christian circles because he left Germany just before the Nazis, uh, just before World War II. He escaped Germany and got out just in time and uh, ended up in New York. And uh, they had a, people had rescued him from Germany. He was a great Bible teacher and a leader, a, very, a young, incredibly promising leader in the German church. But now he was safe in New York. And so you'd think the story is going to end that he didn't get killed by the Nazis, and that's awesome. And so then after the World War was over, he'd go back to Germany and he'd lead the people in Germany because he was a really incredible young leader. But that's not how the story goes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story goes like this. He's reading the Bible in New York, and um, he's reading Isaiah 28:16, And this is what it says. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a, a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Now, the, the version he was reading in said, the one who relies on it will not flee. Now, Bonhoeffer was a scholar, scholar, scholar. Super highly educated. Already writing, he had written many books. And some of those books are incredible. Like, a lot of people have read many of his books today. But yet, this verse grabbed him so powerfully that those who are relying on God... They are not stricken with panic. They do not flee. And so he made a decision, and all of his friends were horrified by it. His decision was, I'm going back to Nazi Germany. He went back to Nazi Germany in 1939. He, went, he got there in time for the war to begin. As a result, he, he, he worked there with the, sort of the underground church and... and uh, they did incredible. I mean, it's, it's quite a story about some of the things they did. They would um, uh, take, uh, they'd find Jewish people, and they would find ways to smuggle them out of the country. Um, took a whole bunch. He had a, one story. Though, he had a whole bunch of Jewish men, and uh, he got them fake passports, and it took them up, I think, north up to you know one of the Scandinavian countries there, and got to the border, and they were like. Who are these guys? You know, Jewish guys, all dark hair. They're Swedish businessmen. <laughs> That's what they said. <laughs> Somehow they got through. Or some of them, he would, uh, through some of his connections, he'd get them uh, enlisted as spies, the Jewish people. And, they'd get, and then they'd, they'd send them across the border to spy on the, you know, the, the other countries. Of course, they never did any spying. Once they got out of the border, they just went to safety. And so those spies never came home again. Right? So he, he incredible things that were happening through that. And, and through the whole thing, the, the church that, was, uh, that Bonhoeffer was um, connected with, which is they called themselves the Confessing Church, because much of the church has sort of bowed its knee in some way towards the Nazi powers. But there was this whole undercurrent of church where they said, we won't, even though it's illegal for us to exist now, we will continue to serve. And anyhow, they did lots of things, lots of good happened, but eventually Bonhoeffer was arrested. And, um, and it was just, I think, three months before the Allies broke through and liberated Germany, he was hanged. 
And that's probably why we know his story today. That's probably why we've read his books. But he sensed the call of God was for him to go back. When people had worked quite a hard to get him out, but he sensed that, this, that those who know God, they don't flee. And his story continues to inspire people to this day. But it was, it was Scripture that God applied to his heart and that he walked in. Let me tell you a story from our lives. You, you, many of you have heard this story. I've sh- shared it many times, but I'll share it. A few years ago, we had a chance to adopt. Um, we got heard of a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old boy and that he was available to be adopted. And would we adopt him? And uh, so we did lots of things to try to figure out, should we? Uh, we talked to our doctor about, you know, what, what we, you know, we had some medical reports, so we talked about what do these mean, and talked to our doctor, we talked to our family, uh, we talked to spiritual people in our lives, pastors and counselors, and we got advice from as many different areas as possible. But the one thing I was thinking about at that time was I was teaching the Hearing God seminar. This is several years ago. And I said, Lord, would you, you know, is there something you'd give me to help me really feel a confirmation that this is the right way to go forward? You know, it seemed, you know, lots of things seem uncertain and you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. And so would you give me... Uh, would you give me something to confirm this? And I was actually, it was in a January, it was January, and I was just over in the fellowship hall, and I'd set up tables for hearing God that night uh, to do the seminar, and then I was like, okay, before everyone arrives, nobody's here yet, I'm just going to go to the man's room real quick, and so that's done with, and then I'll come back. And it was like, I'm, I, so I walked in there, and as the second I stepped across the threshold into the bathroom, like it was that second, um, a verse came to my mind, the most unlikely verse, Matthew one twenty, And this is basically what it says. But after he'd considered this, this is about Joseph, Joseph and Mary. Okay. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what I heard when I walked across the, into the bathroom and heard? This is all I heard. Do not be afraid to take. That was the phrase. And I just knew. I just knew. I was like, oh, I've looked, you know, I've looked at common sense. I've looked at advice from others. And these are the things you should do when you're making a significant decision like this. But just having that word, just suddenly it was like, and I felt like it was just like, do not be afraid to take. I was using a scripture that I'd read before, but would never have picked as my favorite scripture. And he was telling me, don't be afraid. He didn't say, it's all going to work out. It's all going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be easy. You won't have any heartbreak. He didn't tell me any of those things. Just don't be afraid to take Jacob as your son. And I could, like, I was pumped after that moment. So then I taught the the hearing God thing. And that night I told the people who were there, I said, I got a word from God that to me was powerful tonight, but I can't tell you because I have to tell my wife first. <laughs> so I said, I'll tell you next week. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I could hardly wait to phone Marnie and say, I think God gave me a word to really encourage us to go forward. And we did go forward and, and uh, yeah. 
Praise God. He speaks to ordinary people today. I'll give you another one. I had a guy visit me. My connection with him was from uh, northern Saskatchewan, uh, so up Nipawin Way. And uh, he was looking me up to get some spiritual advice in his life. So he came with his wife, and they came down. And um, actually, we were meeting just there in the boardroom there. And, oh, he was defeated by addiction. He was so defeated and just spiritually defeated, just so down and so uh, discouraged. And, and I, I, you know, I tried to really help him, you know, tried to give him wise advice. And, and it just seemed like there was no breakthrough. There was no breakthrough at all. And it was getting to, I mean, I'd spent a good part of a day with, and they were just down for the day, and, but I spent pretty much that whole day with them, and it was coming to the time where they're going to have to go back. And I, I, I felt like, Lord, we, I don't know, I don't think we got any breakthrough here. And he, you know, he's come all the way down, you know, good five-hour drive to be here to hopefully have this, a breakthrough moment, and I don't think this breakthrough moment has happened. And so I took a break. Why is it that God always speaks to me in the washrooms? I'm just realizing this right now, actually. <laughs> Hmm, i got to ask him about that. <laughs> Anyhow, so I took a break, <laughs> this washroom this time, and I, I walked in there, and I was like, Lord, I've only got a few more minutes with these guys, and they're going to go, and they're going home discouraged because we haven't had a breakthrough at all here. I'm like, what, what possibly could I say to him in these last few uh, moments that could possibly help him? And um, so I got, I got a phrase, again, Here's the thing. God is bringing back to your memory the things that you've read or the things that you've heard from the Scripture. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He does that. It's incredible that he does that. Again, here comes, this is the phrase that I got. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Does that sound encouraging to you? It does not sound encouraging to me. I was like, Lord, no. <laughs> what? How is that? This guy is so discouraged. He feels so guilty. He feels so condemned. There's, there's nothing gracious about telling him, listen, you haven't shed your blood yet. You're not even hardly fighting sin. Is that what I'm going back into the room to tell him? Like, I mean, the guy's almost dead, and I'm, am I just driving in, like, the final blow? And so I was like, Lord, seriously, did I hear that from you? Or I'm just, you know, I was really curious. Anyhow, I, I didn't know where it was from exactly, so I just pulled out my phone, got onto you version, and, and I, I put that phrase in there, and I found the rest of the verse. So here's how it says, what it says, Hebrews 12, 4 to 6. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Not encouraging yet, is it? And then this is what it says. And have you completely forgotten this word, of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. When I read that, I was like, let me back in that room. Let me back in that room. So I could hardly get back in there. I said, you know what? I was in the bathroom, and I think God gave me a scripture for you. Let me read it to you. And so I read the first part, and I saw the look on his face. I said, no, no, it gets better. He's addressing you as sons. 
Don't lose heart. When you, when you realize you're struggling with sin, don't lose heart in that struggle. The Lord is disciplining you because he loves you. He's chastening you because he accepts you as a son. Because that was the thing that was missing. That was actually the thing that was missing. It's just like, how can, I, how can God love me because I'm such a failure, failure in these areas? I was like, no, 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 no. He accepts you as a son. You're not, try, you're not at this point where if you finally win in this area that God will finally accept you. He's accepted you. That's the bedrock you're standing on right now, the acceptance of God because of Jesus. You have that because of what Jesus has done for you. And you believe in that, don't you? And he's like, yeah, I do. I said, so you already have God's acceptance. And so God is not coming at you uh, to heap uh, uh, shame and shame and shame on you, to bury you in a pit of shame. He's come to lift you out of that and give you a brand new perspective. If you don't beat these things, if these things aren't something that you're walking in victory right away or something like that, you know what? He accepts you as a son. You have some, some pretty solid stuff in your life that you can hang on to that's found in these scriptures. And you know what? His countenance changed. His wife looked relieved. <laughs> and it was just like we had a 20-minute turnaround, basically, where it was like God gave me some scripture that opened up New realities for this guy. Well, how about you? How about you? I really, I, I know lots of Christians really struggle to read the Bible. And, and sometimes it, it can be, it can be sort of a condemnation cycle that is, is of no, that's not really valuable. So here's my encouragement to you, is you, you might have started a Bible reading plan this year and you've already failed a bunch on it or something like that. Don't, don't, don't sweat the... See, the condemnation is what kills you. Just imagine that every day God gives you a fresh start because his mercies are new every morning. So every day he gives you a fresh start. So my advice to you is just... Tell yourself, I'll make a healthy choice today. You say, well, but I won't be able to keep it up. I won't be able no. Don't make that decision in advance. Make the decision for today that you'll engage the Word of God. Whether you listen to it on audio or whether you, you read it, whether you read a bunch or whether you read a little, just make a healthy choice today. And then tomorrow, His mercy's new that day too, Right? You can make a healthy cho choice tomorrow. But sometimes we, I think there is sort of condemnation that comes into the life of Christians that, oh, I'm no good at this, and other Christians are acing this and stuff. No, the con the comparing ourselves among ourselves, that's not wise. What we need to do is just, again, just fresh bread. Every day, God is willing to speak to you through his word. Sometimes you read it and you'll, you'll go, hey, I don't know, I didn't get much out of it. And other days you read it and it'll grab you. It'll grab you. And so just stand in line at the bakery and get a dose, get a taste of fresh bread. That's my encouragement to you. And don't, 
And the enemies, the enemy, he loves to condemn. He loves to condemn people in this area. I absolutely know this. I experienced it in my own life. And I've decided I, I'm not going to listen to that voice of condemnation that says other people are reading the Bible and regularly and they're succeeding and you're failing. Because I have that same voice too. So I just said, no, I'm, today I have a chance to hear from God through his word. And I'm going to take advantage of that today. Would you stand with me? Lord, we just thank you so much that you've given us your word. What an incredible gift. What an incredible gift that we have access to um, fresh bread. <laughs> we have access to oh, your uh, recording of this his, the, the history of your winning us back to you, of you bringing us into relationship with you. And there's lots of ways we make it difficult. We get religious, we get discouraged, we, we get distant. But Lord, I, I pray that you would help us wherever we are right now just to embrace that you do want to speak to us. You said, my sheep, Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice. And one of the main ways to hear your voice is just through what you wrote, through what you preserved, your word. So, Lord, we want to be able to uh, have a, a good relationship with reading the Bible or hearing the Bible. So, Lord, help us. If there's some, some tip or uh, strategy or something that you want to reveal to us that would make it work for uh, each of us, then, Lord, would you, would you guide us to something that would make it more actionable in our lives, more, uh, that we're able to do it more frequently or, or, to, or to do it more effectively? And Lord, I, I pray that you just really guard each one who's here right today, each one who's hearing this today. Guard them from the trick of the enemy to bring condemnation so that he can separate us from the word of God. We don't want that. We want what you want. You're, you're drawing us back to saying, come, take, eat, receive. Lord, you, you're the one who have the, has the words of life. You're the, you're, the, you're the one who has the living word that makes us come alive. That, that the words that come into our hearts that transform us and that empower us to live for you. God, we want to keep receiving that in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help each one. I don't know what their scenario is. I don't know what would be the thing the enemies used against them to keep them away from the word. But, Lord, I pray you'd give them a win in this area. I pray you give them a win in this area. I pray you give them an ability not to be discouraged and not to feel condemned, but to keep coming back to receive from you what you've got for us in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you, by your spirit, take what we've read and bring it back to us in times where we need those words in order to serve you, in order to be effective for you. I thank you for that incredible dynamic. And Lord, we ask for more. We ask for more. Would you bring back to our remembrance the words that we've read that we need to live for you? We ask that unashamedly. We believe that's your heart for us. That's what you desire. And so we want to agree with you in that. Yeah. Thanks for your goodness in our lives. You gave us your word and you gave us your spirit. And we're going to walk with both in your name. Everybody said? Amen.
Well, let's remain standing and worship him. <laughs> 